Well, good morning. And here I am again, desperate for a haircut <laughs> and a holiday. But I'll settle this morning for a hallelujah. How about that? Now, uh, imagine having the experience of reading about someone for years and uh, reading all the books you could find in them, but then finally actually getting the opportunity to meet them in person. I want you to think this morning, how much of a difference would it actually make to knowing them the fact that you actually met them? Do you remember recently I spoke about being on my grandmother's farm and when I was young we didn't have a phone growing up in the 70s and we had to walk to our neighbor's house to actually uh, make a phone call. Now back then we never dreamed of the day when we would all walk around with a phone in our pockets being able to make a call to anywhere at all. And, uh, but I wonder actually a hundred years ago it must have seemed unimaginable to people to make the calls, the distances that we can do now from wherever in the world. And so I had a thought a couple of years ago, I went looking for information about when was the first time that we had the opportunity in Ireland to actually use the telephone. And uh, what I looked up really was that the first phone calls were made in Ireland from an exchange based in Dublin uh, in commercial buildings in Dame Street. And it's so funny to read that story. This was back in 1880. And apparently there were only five subscribers to the exchange. Only five people in Ireland had a phone. So you can imagine that the phone lines weren't exactly buzzing. And so they actually hired a young boy to operate the switchboard because nobody else wanted to sit around all day doing nothing, I guess. And I love what happens next because, and here's a direct quote, apparently uh, finding a lot of time on his hands, the boy adjourned to a nearby courtyard to play marbles and was promptly dismissed. <laughs> he didn't last too long, you know. Now, why was the switchboard so quiet? Well, I guess there's only other four people to ring. Now, that soon changed, of course, and by the early 1900s, you know, counties in Ireland uh, all had telephones. And finally, in 1927, the first phone call was actually made across the Atlantic from America to London. And so I want to bring you back to that time today. I want to ask you to use your imagination to help answer this question that we asked this morning about the difference between reading about someone and knowing about them through books and actually being in their presence. Now, I want you to picture yourself living as a young child, uh, nine or 10 years of age, and you're born in Ireland and you're living back in the 1930s. And here is the scenario. You've grown up as a child whose father went to America looking for work the year that you were born. So you have actually no memory of him at all. And the plan was that when he had enough money made, he would send for yourself and your mother to join him. But you know, things didn't work out as planned and he just never got the money together to send for you. And so for the last 10 years, he's been out there and he's only been communicating uh, with your mother through letters. And so everything you know about your father, you hear through her, through the letters, and through everyone else you meet who all tell you stories about your dad. They all have personal stories about him, except you. Now, after a few years uh, through his letters and what your mother has told you about him and people tell you about him, you think you know him pretty well. But then one day all your prayers are answered and uh, it turns out that this phone line, this cable has been laid across the Atlantic. Phone calls are being able to be made directly from America. And within a few months, you get a phone or a letter from your father saying that he is going to ring and speak to you. 
and that he's going to be ringing the house of the nearby landlord at nine o'clock on Monday morning and for the first time you're going to get the chance to speak to your father. Now, I want to ask you a question. How excited do you think you would be to actually speak to your father? Now, what if somebody said to you, sure, what's the big deal? Don't you know all about him? I mean, you've read about him for years, you've heard about him. What more could you know by actually speaking to him than you've heard from all the people who've met him? I don't think you'd listen to that, would you? I mean, really the truth is that even if you'd read a thousand more letters from your father, hearing his voice, being in his presence, it just brings you into a different experience entirely than simply reading a book. To come into his presence is a different level of knowing him. And uh, being able to be spoken to by your father will also give you an authority to speak about him that you never had before. You never again will be at the mercy of anyone else telling you what he's like because you don't have secondhand knowledge anymore. Now you have firsthand knowledge. Do you know that the book of Acts tells us exactly that? That it tells us that unlearned, unschooled fishermen, that's the term, unschooled, they confounded the wisdom of all the theologians of Jerusalem by speaking about God with an authority that no one else had. And let me say that in a different way. They spoke in a way that didn't sound like they were speaking from second-hand knowledge, that they were simply repeating something somebody else had said. They spoke as if they had been in his presence and spoken with him personally. And then Acts 4.13 says something so profound about the reaction of the religious authorities. It says, when they saw the courage, when they saw the confidence of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, I love that phrase, unschooled. Do you know it's possible to be schooled in the scriptures for years, to have your head full of knowledge about God, but be unable to speak about him with any authority? I remember, you know, years ago, one night I was working as a vet in my father's practice and a client came in with a dog. And this man, let's say, had a reputation for uh, avoiding paying his bills at all costs. And he had brought his dog to see my father on a number of occasions, but that night was his first time to meet me, and he didn't know who I was, except that I was the new vet in the practice. And at some point in the conversation, you know, I remember he began the attempt to reduce his bill by complaining that my father hadn't done a good enough job in treating the dog up to that point. Now, he must have seen the skeptical look on my face because... He then tried to infer that he knew my father better than I did. In doing that, in that moment, he was trying to exert authority over me. He was saying, in effect, I know him of whom I speak better than you do. But being the son of my father, I knew that he didn't have any authority. And as soon as I told him who I was, he realized he had no authority either. And he promptly paid his bill. Now this morning I want to share with you a very simple truth. You can only speak of God with authority to the degree you know him. And believer, you were called to speak with the authority of a son, not an employee. Now Acts 4 says that those religious leaders took note that these unschooled fishermen had been with Jesus because the only other person they ever heard speak about God the way they did was Jesus. 
he really spoke with the same authority that they were hearing through the disciples. Listen to Matthew's description of the way Jesus spoke. This is from Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. It says, When Jesus had finished speaking these words, the crowds were amazed at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So here we see there's a clear difference between what's being heard by the people in the authority that they hear from Jesus compared to the authority of the religious leaders. And what the book of Acts shows us is that in being filled with the Holy Spirit, the disciples, the early church, started to speak with that same authority, the authority of a son, not an employee, because only knowing your father brings you the authority of a son. Only knowing your father brings you the authority of a son. And that's why the Holy Spirit by whom we know the Father, is called the Spirit of Sonship. He who doesn't know the Father by the Spirit cannot carry the authority of the Son. So in being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Sonship at Pentecost, those Spirit-filled disciples knew God in a way that they'd never known Him before. They knew Him as Father to a degree that they could never have known Him before. And now they could speak with the authority that the scribes and teachers didn't have, spiritual authority the authority of the Son. You see, the scribes and the religious leaders only had worldly authority, but the disciples had spiritual authority. Listen to the difference. Worldly authority comes from knowing your position in the world, from knowing who you are in the eyes of the world. Spiritual authority comes from knowing your position in eternity, from knowing who you are in the eyes of God. Now, Someone trying to exert worldly authority is likely to say something like, Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who's speaking to you? What rank I hold? I am over you, so you had better listen to me. You see, worldly authority tries to lord it over you. And Jesus explained to his disciples that this type of authority, what he called lording it over each other, as the Gentiles do, was not to be the way in his church. Rather, he said, If anyone wants to become prominent among you, let him be the servant of all just as the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. That's Matthew 20, verse 28. Now, those words of Jesus shouldn't be taken as a formula for authority in the church. I mean, he wasn't meaning if you will make yourself a dog's body and go around serving everyone, then I will promote you. You see, the kingdom of God doesn't work like this world. It doesn't work on the principle of if you do this, you can become this. The church, rather, is built and operates on the revelation of what is, not what might be. What is true, not what might be true. As Paul said to the Colossians, Open your eyes to the heavenly realm, for you died and your life now is hidden with Christ and God. He didn't say your life might be hidden with Christ and God. You see, the kingdom of God only manifests on this earth when God's people operate by the knowledge of what now is not the knowledge of what might be. This is why we've been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Sonship, that we might know what now is and speak into this realm what now is in the heavens. And by such now is words, the kingdom of heaven is now seen on the earth. And that's why, you know, last week my spirit jumped and shouted amen when I heard a a minister of the gospel describe falling from grace as falling from being to becoming. It is to fall, you see, from living by what now is back down to living by what might be. 
I always think, you know, the devil doesn't mind the church believing that revival is right around the corner as long as they never believe that today is the day. You know, I think this is one of the great side effects in the church of continually for years sitting under messages that keep pointing to ourselves. We gradually go short-sighted in the spirit. We become so earthly-minded that we can only talk about revival in terms of what used to be or what could be in this earthly realm because we cannot see clearly what is. Now that ability to see what is, who you already are and what you already have in Christ, that, Paul told the Corinthians, is what it means to receive the grace of God and not to receive it in vain. And the only only antidote really to receiving the grace of God not in vain is to hear what the Spirit has been saying to the church in every generation for over 2,000 years. Do not receive the grace of God in vain, for I heard you, I helped you, and I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That's 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. Now, why does the Holy Spirit want us to know what now is? Because for a believer, to know what now is, is to know who you now are. Now, that's worth saying again. (laughs) To know what now is, is to know who you now are. And when you know who you now are and what you now have, you have no need to try and grasp for authority or to lord it over anyone, for you have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. And do you know what you can do when you know who you now are and what you now have? You can freely serve others with no agenda for self-promotion. Now, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, that's actually John 13, verse 3 and 4, where it beautifully describes Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Listen to what it says. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. So can you hear there what it's saying about Jesus? He enters that upper room knowing who he is and what he has. Not who he might be and what he might have. Now, why was Jesus free to take the lowest position and serve everyone else? Because when you know who you already are and what you already have as a son of the Father, you won't have to spend your life looking to people to tell you who you are or what you have. You won't go through life disappointed that no one is celebrating you. You can freely serve others as a celebration of their life. If you can receive the revelation from the Father that comes through the gospel of God's grace, the revelation of who you now are and what you now have, in other words, if you can receive God's Spirit, then you can freely enter into the joy of the Father, His heart, to serve others as a celebration of their lives, the worth of their lives to Him. Now, that's why to a son who refused to enter into the joy of his father, who refused to serve someone else until he first was celebrated, Jesus has the Father say this, My son, you're always with me, and everything that I have is yours. Now, those are the words, if you remember, that Jesus put into the mouth of the father of the prodigal son as he stood there pleading with his elder son to join him in serving the prodigal with the celebration of his life. And these are still the only words that can set you and I free from a lifetime of trying to justify ourselves by our work in the field of religion. The word of the Father on who we now are, my son. Where we now are, 
you're always with me. And what we now have, everything I have is yours. Isn't that amazing, you know, that the church is always waiting on heaven to start a revival? For we spend so much of our time, so much of our lives living by what might be. But heaven is always waiting on the church to join them in celebrating all that the church already is and already has. For heaven lives by what now is. For it is the kingdom of he who is the I am, not the I was or the I will be. Heaven is the kingdom of he who is the I am, not the I was or the I will be. Praise God. So to see your life from above, to see your life in Christ by the Spirit, is to see who you now are, my son. To see where you now are, hidden with Christ in God, and to see what you now have. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Or as Paul said to the Corinthians, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. That's 2 Corinthians 3.23. Now to live in revival, to live revived by the Spirit of God, is to have ceased living in the realm of what might be, with all the works of the flesh that accompanies that realm of trying to move God. And instead, to be living in the now is, that is the realm that heaven lives in. To live there is to be living in the rest from your works that God knows because he is a God who has rested from his works. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, the mind that knows what now is, the mind that knows who you now are, where you now are, what you now have, the mind set not in the things below, but in the things above where Christ has sat down at the right hand of the Father. What would it look like for us to live in that mindset. What does revival look like to heaven? You know, it looks like the church serving the lost men and women of this world with such a celebration of their lives that their eyes are opened to see the face of the Father toward them, the face of a loving Father for his lost children. How could Jesus serve those disciples in that upper room? How could he serve us on the cross with such a revelation of the worth of our lives? because he had the authority to do so, because the authority that comes from heaven is knowing what the Father knows, who you now are and what you now have because of Christ. You can only speak with authority of God to the degree you know him. And believer, you were called to speak with the authority of a son, not just an employee. To live by who you now are and what you now have is to live as a son. To live by who you might be And what you might have is to live as an employee looking for a promotion. The kingdom of the Son is the kingdom of the I am. And the kingdom of the I am is the realm of what now is. Do you know how God actually calls people into that realm, into that kingdom, into their destiny, their identity, their eternal calling in Christ? By calling them into the realm of what now is. By calling them as if they already are what they hope to become. Oh, that's worth saying again. He calls you as if you already are what you hope to become. And that's because the kingdom of the Son is the realm of what now is. You know, my children are persuaded today that they are indeed my children because I've never spoken to them as if they might become my children one day. I have only ever spoken to them as who they are in my eyes, my children. 
Now, this morning I've been speaking about authority. And what I've been sharing with you is that I believe that to speak by the Spirit, to speak with authority, is always to speak of what now is, not what might be. Even when to every earthly-minded person who hears you, what you're saying does not appear to be true. I mean, think of the authority of Jesus. What did it sound like to hear him speak with that authority? It sounded like he was speaking to people as if they already were what they did not yet appear to be. He spoke to the sick as if they were well. He spoke to the lame as if they could walk. He spoke to the deaf as if they could hear. He spoke to the blind as if they could see. He spoke to the dead as if they were alive. He called their name as if they were alive, and at his word, they were alive. He spoke to the excluded as if they were included. He spoke to the sinful as if they were forgiven. But in all this, he also said that he did not speak by himself, but said only what he was hearing the Father saying. So let's think for a moment of how that might work in our lives. To speak by the Spirit, to speak with authority, is always to speak of what is, not what might be. And that's why when filled with the Holy Spirit, when filled with the authority of God, the disciples were filled with the knowledge of what is and began to speak as Jesus spoke, began to speak in the Spirit of, in the words of Romans 4:17, He who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Remember, the kingdom of God only manifests on this earth when people operate by the knowledge of what now is, not the knowledge of what might be. God causes people to operate in the knowledge of what now is, not the knowledge of what might be. So when the disciples started to operate in this knowledge of what now is, the result was revival. Let me give you one example. Do you remember in Acts 3? describes Peter and John on the way to the temple and they went there the same time every day about three o'clock to pray and every day at the same time a cripple was carried and laid at the gate beautiful. So they would have seen this man there every day as they passed through that gate. But now that day, that certain day, when on being asked for help from that cripple, Acts 3-4 uses a strange phrase about what happens next. It says, Peter looked straight at him as did John. They looked straight, all right. They looked straight out of the natural realm and into the eternal realm. In that moment, they no longer were seeing that cripple as he appeared to be. In that straight look, they suddenly saw him as heaven saw him. And heaven saw him well and whole by the power of the finished work of Christ. And because Peter could see him as the Spirit saw him, as the Father was seeing him, Peter suddenly found within himself the authority, the power to speak to him, as who heaven saw him to be. He found the now is word bubbling up within him. And we know what happened next when he spoke that word out. That cripple got up and he danced like he was in heaven. He was in the realm of now is. You know, I reckon if we'd asked Peter later on that day over a cup of tea, Peter, what happened this morning? What were you thinking? What possessed you to speak to a cripple as if he was well and then pull him to his feet as if he could walk? I think Peter perhaps would have replied, I can't explain it. But in that moment, I just knew. In that moment, I just knew who he was. And he wasn't a cripple. And this knowing took such a hold of me, so filled me, that it rose up in me like a lion. And I could not but speak the way I did. I could not help myself but to proclaim what now is. The kingdom of God only manifests on this earth when God's people operate by the knowledge of what is, not the knowledge of what might be. But is that not how we have always spoken to our own children? I mean, even when they can't see beyond their current life, we always speak to them 
according to who we know them to be, not according to who they see themselves to be. You know, any parent knows that their child may go through stages in life when they question their own identity, their own worth. There may be times when they see themselves so negatively, it's not healthy at all. It may lead to anxiety, to depression, to withdrawal and fear from the world. Now, every parent in that situation would never agree to change the opinion of their child to lower their view of their child to match the child's view. I mean, can you imagine a loving father or mother coming up to a confused, discouraged child and saying, well, if this is the way you feel about yourself, I guess I need to come into agreement with that and speak to you as a no good, useless, good for nothing who will never amount to anything. What parent is going to do that? No parent is going to change the way they speak to their child to agree with a lie. So don't expect the Father to. Don't expect the Holy Spirit to. The Holy Spirit never, never looks at you askant. He looks straight at you and he speaks straight with you of who the Father sees you to be. And we as believers are filled with his Spirit that we would speak such words also. Words that cause people to rise up and enter into the life the Father has for them. Life in the Son. This is what we see happen in the book of Acts. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Sonship, the disciples start to speak with the same authority Jesus spoke with. The authority of a son, not an employee, because knowing your father brings you the authority of a son. Now, the scriptures say that the scribes and the religious leaders in Jerusalem only had worldly authority. The apostles, they had spiritual authority. Worldly authority comes from knowing your position in this world, knowing who you are in the eyes of the world. Spiritual authority comes from knowing your position in eternity, knowing who you are in the eyes of God. Worldly authority was the authority that the religious scribes were exerting over the people. And they tried to exert that over Jesus too when they repeatedly commanded him not to teach as he was teaching. And there are many recorded incidents in the Gospels of what happened when worldly authority met spiritual authority. And I want to finish by reading you one of those examples which I love in John chapter 7. The Pharisees, seeing the spiritual authority by by which Jesus spoke uh, as a threat to their worldly authority, they send some temple guards to arrest Jesus. At this point, they've decided enough is enough. We're going to exert our authority over him. And those temple guards arrive to arrest Jesus, but they make the fatal mistake of stopping long enough to listen to him. And as they listen to him, they come under the authority of his word and they go back empty handed to the Pharisees who aren't very happy at all. And I want to read you the exchange that takes place when they go back without Jesus because in that is is one of the most beautiful descriptions of authority. And this is taken from John 7, verse 45. It says, Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? And they answered, No man ever spoke like this man. (laughs) Oh, isn't that beautiful? No man ever spoke like this man. All the whole of creation is waiting for the church to speak like that. How wonderful were those words. Isn't it wonderful that having been in the presence of Jesus and drinking in his words, when those temple guards come to speak themselves, out of their mouth also pours the truth. No man has ever spoken like this man. And that's our gifting we have by being in his presence, by living in the spirit, that when we open our mouths, out comes the truth. 
Now, the Pharisees, they really kick up a fuss and huff and puff and say things like, don't you know who you're speaking to? We're the ones who know the law. But, you know, there's nothing that they can muster up that can match the authority of these guards who've heard Jesus, you know. And I love the way this passage finishes by simply saying that they all had to go home. <laughs> Verse 43, it says, and everyone went to his home. Now, I'm sure the Pharisees went home with steam coming out of their ears, but they found that worldly authority was no match to withstand even the testimony of those guards, never mind Jesus, because the testimony of those who know about him never carries the same authority of the testimony of those who have actually been with him. Now remember I began this morning with a question. Just like that young child who had never heard their father's voice, even if you had heard all your life about someone, how much of a difference would it actually make to be in their presence? How much of a difference would that make to knowing them? You see, this is the authority that is God's gift to you and I. He gives us his Holy Spirit, his presence with us, so that we would know the Father through the experience of his presence. And this knowing of the Father that the Spirit gives brings with it an authority that only those who have been with him carry, the authority of the Son. We can only speak with the authority of God to the degree that we know him. And church, we were called to speak with the authority of his son, not the authority of an employee looking for a promotion. To live by who you now are and what you now have is to live as a son. To live by who you might be and what you might have is to live as an employee striving for promotion. Receive the gospel of God's grace and the spirit of sonship that comes by this gospel. Jesus Christ is God's mind on you. Now let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, the mind that knows what now is, the mind that knows who you now are, where you now are, and what you now have in Christ. The mindset, not on the things below, but on the things above, where Christ has sat down at the right hand of God. Let your soul enter his rest over you, and you will find yourself free to wash feet, to serve the men and women of this world with the Father's celebration of them, his true view and opinion of their worth, which is his glory. By such service of his love, his kingdom is seen on the earth. How could Jesus serve the disciples in that upper room or serve us at the cross with such a revelation of our worth in the Father's eyes? Because he had the authority to do so. Because the authority that comes from heaven is knowing what the Father knows who you now are and what you now have because of Christ. Now, you can only speak with authority of God to the degree you know him. And believer, you were called to speak with the authority of a son, not an employee. To live by who you now are and what you now have is to live as a son. Let us not be an elder brother church. Let us not live estranged from our Father's presence, hoping for revival, but remaining with our minds set on our work for God. Let us follow the sound of music and dancing. Let the Spirit of Sonship lift up our vision into the truth that heaven sees, that through Christ we died, and our life now is hidden with Christ and God. Let us hear the appeal of the Father to his church. Enter into my view and opinion of your life, that you're always with me and that all I have is yours. Let that bring such a profound rest to your soul that you can now rise to go and wash the dirty feet of those who have tread in all the wrong places of this world 
to look for the acceptance that was always in their father's heart the whole time. Hear the voice of the Spirit to a church waiting for a better day. Do not receive the grace of God in vain, for I heard you, I helped you, and I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Why does the Spirit want the church to know what now is? Because for a believer to know what now is, is to know who you now are. And all of creation is groaning for that hour. For the kingdom of God only manifests on this earth when God's people operate by the knowledge of what now is, not the knowledge of what might be. For the kingdom of the Son is the realm of what now is. God bless you.